Well, God's family at Knox, you have heard, I hope, that we are into this thing called Ready for More. It is a big church-wide campaign, and it is one of the immediate goals is to raise a certain amount of funds for the renewal of our sanctuary, but the bigger, bigger goals is what God might do among us. That's some of the bigger hopes. And the next two months, and I think the years beyond this, they're going to be significant in this church, in this community of faith. You know, we've been blessed by God with this remarkable location here in Toronto. It is arguably one of the most strategic places in all of Canada to do ministry. Here we are across from one of the major premier universities in Canada where all sorts of leaders are trained and released, and we have the opportunity to interact with them, hopefully to disciple them. We're here in the heart of downtown. It, it's such a strategic place, and we as a church want to steward this location and this building and this place because we feel it's really important. We want this to be a place of God-glorifying ministry. And in the history of this congregation, it's sort of a hinge point for us, too. We we're turning in two years, 200 years old, which is really crazy to say. Like, who, who in Canada gets to say that? We're turning 200. Uh, and the question we're asking, we're, you know, lots of good ministry has happened in the two, past 200 years, but the question we're asking is, are we ready for more? Are we ready for more gospel-centered ministry, more of living in the power of God, as we bear witness to that power of God here in this city. More ministry that heals the soul, that mends the body. More of God's kingdom here in this world. And I'm, I'm convinced that what, what's going to happen in the next few months is going to have a lasting impact. It's going to shape the future of this congregation. And there's important questions. You know, as we renovate a sanctuary, we've got to be thinking, is this just going to be a really nice place for us? Or is this going to be a place that we can invite the city to? Is this going to be a place that is going to be an important part of blessing the city of Toronto? I pray it be a place that we are free to worship God, a place that's welcoming to all people, a place where week in, week out, God reigns on the throne and says, this was good. I was honored here. We're aiming, of course, to renew this sanctuary, but it's bigger than that because it's not just that. We're asking, what, what sort of people are we going to become? We don't want that to be a nice little clubhouse for us where it's just all about our desires. We want this to be a place where we certainly worship God, but where we are equipped then to, and sent out into this world. So we are praying that our vision for this matches and aligns with God's vision and that everything involved in these renovations are 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 moved and motivated by the power of God, by his love for the world. So the, these next 60 days, um, you're going to hear a lot about this. And the, these messages that uh, we're, we're going to go through the next 60 days, the next few weeks here at Knox, are going to be focused in on that. And not on the goal, we have to raise $200,000 in gifts by December. That's a big challenge. But it's, it's not so much about that goal. It's about what more will God do among us? What might God be at work doing here? I think this is a really beautiful, unique opportunity we have um, to participate 
in something significant that we get to tackle together. It's a unique opportunity and a unique privilege for us to, to make sacrificial commitments. Are we ready for that? You're probably thinking, all of what you're talking about just sounds like it's going to take a miracle. And it will. Yes, it is. Here's the beautiful thing. It is the opportunity, this, this Ready for More campaign. It is the opportunity for you and I to participate in a miracle. But here's the thing about miracles is that you need to prepare for them. You need to get ready for them. So how do we prepare for a miracle of God in this Ready for More campaign? Well, today we're going to look at an account of a miracle from the life of Jesus. And we're, we're going to see it, how it teaches us to prepare, to get ready, to, to receive, to be part of, to participate in a miracle. It's commonly called uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle of Jesus that occurs in all four Gospels. It's commonly called the, the feeding of the 5,000. That's probably a misnomer because it's interesting. At the end of the, the, the account, it says, and, 5, 000, and there were 5,000 men. So with 5,000 men, there's likely 5,000 women alongside, right? Uh, and along with those men and women, there's probably a whole bunch of kids too. So you know, average two kids per couple. Um, we're, we're talking in the range of 15 to 20,000 people here. Um, it's the Air Canada Center filled up. That, that's sort of the number of people we're talking about here in this passage that Jesus feeds. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so hang on. Before we read the passage, I think it's probably good for us to do a little sidebar on, on miracles itself. Um, we should think about that because a lot of people today have, have trouble believing in miracles. Um, even for people of faith, even right here. I got to tell you, as I worked on this the past couple of weeks, I really had to wrestle this through myself with God and ask myself, do, do I really believe that, that actually there is a God operative in this world who can enact miracles? I found myself somewhere between, you know, rejecting them outright, I don't want to do that, and not falling prey to naive gullibility that we attribute anything and everything to a miracle. How do we find some balance? When it comes to miracle, what I'm finding is that most Christians operate on a principle of economy. They believe as few as are allowed. There's the incarnation. Okay, I got to believe in that one. There's the resurrection of the Jesus from the dead. Yep, okay. Pentecost. But for the rest, I bet there's a really good explanation for them. Right? It's interesting for others in our culture. Um, a lot of people probably you hang out with, fellow students, colleagues, whatever. There is this deep-seated belief that science has proven that there is no such thing as miracles. Perhaps some of us are, have been convinced or compelled by that itself. Is that how you think? If so, you got to realize, and if you ever interact with someone about that, you got to realize underneath that is a huge leap of faith for anyone who says, well, science has just proved miracles can't happen. See, it's one thing for science to be able to test for natural causes, right? And therefore, it, 
cannot address other causes for why things happen. But it's a leap of faith to say that science proves that there are no other possible causes for the phenomena, for the events we see. The scientific method itself is, is limited to exploring natural causes for specific phenomena. So science by its nature can't test for other additional causes, non-natural or supernatural causes. And so Christians can, with intellectual integrity, believe in miracles because we happen to believe in a creator God who exists outside the natural realm. And we believe that the universe is not a closed system, but that actually God is an actor in this system as well. And so miracles can occur. And yet we believe that these miracles are not just sort of random interruptions of the created order. They're not, they're not you know, Jesus doing little magic tricks either. Um, they're, but they're purposeful. They're, they're intentional. They, are, they always are revelatory. God is showing us something. There's a purpose behind it. God is also pointing to something too. Pointing to how this world should work in each miracle. He's pointing us to some future world as well, the restoration of this created world, a world where we get to fully participate in all that goodness. So, with that really long introduction, let me look at, let me read our scripture passage for tonight. Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. comes from Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves to a boat in a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send them away. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, this would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down on groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Uh, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the, his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So what we have here is a huge problem. There's a huge crowd, and they're hungry. 
And they're probably hangry, actually, because it's late in the day. They're tired. They're hungry. You know how that is, right? That's a bad crowd. Mm. Jesus, of course, had attracted a large crowd, and they've been following. They've been just longing to hear the words of life that Jesus is teaching. And so Jesus is teaching, feeding their souls. And as the day wears on, there's just not a deli. There's not a noodle house in sight. And so there's a huge problem here. These people need food. And the disciples spot this need. And this, this right there is the starting point to... Prepare yourself for a miracle. You see a need. You, you admit to some inadequacy in yourself. If you want God to work in your life, you come to this place where you admit, God, uh, there is a deficiency. There is a weakness. I'm limited, God. Help. Now, that's hard because we don't like to name those things about ourselves. But it's the first step to experiencing God's power move in our lives. But here's an interesting thing. The disciples, certainly they admit their need, but they become far more aware of the need than the presence of Jesus with them. It's like they're really overwhelmed with the need, and they don't see the one who's standing in front of them, Jesus, right? The one who, who previously has, has healed a paralyzed man. Jesus, the one who previously, and they saw this still, the wind and the waves and the storm. And just before this, Jesus, the one who raised a young girl from the dead. They, they see this overwhelming need, but they cannot see the reality of Jesus. And so the disciples come up with a very practical solution. A solution that doesn't factor Jesus into the equation. And their solution is, send him away, Jesus. They abdicate in this situation, really. You know, Jesus, it's not our responsibility to feed him. Just, just tell him to go home. But I love Jesus' response. It's sort of blunt. It's sort of in your face. You give them something to eat. It's like, don't bother me. You do this. And the disciples, you can almost see their minds sort of like getting a little anxious, a little frantic. And it's like, okay, they're doing the math on this. This is going to take, you know, eight months worth of wages. And the anxiety just kicks into gear. Like, feed this crowd. First of all, how are we going to transport the food here? How are we going to keep it warm? Who's following all the food handling uh, rules and regulations on this, right? Who's going to clean up the mess? Who's going to pay for the liability insurance on this? And their minds are just hyperdrive anxiety. And I imagine some of us, as we engage this campaign of Ready for More, might be in the same place. Even, even if you think of that, about that number, $200,000, and we think, uh, seriously? A lot of us are students, right? <laughs> we have debt. Um, how are we going to get there? But let's not forget whose church this is. Let's not forget the Jesus reality in this equation. What the disciples had forgotten was who was with them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing right there. He's standing right there, and they're looking, hoping for a food truck to come by. We do this a lot, don't we? We have a problem. We forget God is with us. And so often what ends up is we become practical atheists. We never become confessed atheists, right? We're not saying, no, 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 I'm denying God. We don't do that. We say, yes, I believe in God, but we don't live as if God is a reality, not part of the equation of our lives. 
And so Jesus has got to help his disciples, even though he's standing in front of them, even though he is the Lord of all and he's demonstrated that, he's got to prompt them. Remember, this is a miracle story, right? It is a story of Jesus doing a remarkable, powerful act. But it's one of the interesting stories in which, miracle stories in which Jesus actively involves the disciples in the unfolding of this miracle. So he pulls the disciples into participating in this miracle as a way to sort of jolt them into a life of faith. And so he asks them, he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, of course, they come back, five loaves, two fish. Why did Jesus do this? Really, he's God, right? Um, God's got a history of doing some interesting food miracles. Raining, he could have rained down manna from heaven. God's done this before. Jesus could have turned stones there into bread. He's done this before, right? God, however, doesn't. Here's the second reality about preparing ourselves to participate in God's miraculous work. God starts very often with what we have, with what we bring to him. Jesus always uses what the church brings to him as part of his restoration and healing of a broken world. It's a remarkable thing. He will take all the energy you have. Let's give it to him. Take the time on your hand. Give it to him. Take the money, the resources you have. Take the relationships, the talents you have. Whatever it is, offer it to God. Say, God, here it is. God is always inviting us into what looks like impossible situations, but begins with, what do you have? I love that, how God does invite us into impossible situations, right? God's not insulting us. Like God never, if you read the whole Bible, God never insults anyone by giving them a real cush job. God never says to Abraham or Moses or Esther and says, I got something for you to do. It's a breeze, though, okay? You know, I don't want to inconvenience you. It's not going to take a whole lot of time or effort or resources on your part. No. God ushers us into these, what seems like, what feels like impossible situations because he wants to stretch our faith, because he wants to actually to test us in some way, to see what are we made of. What, let's see the faith that you've got in you. He wants to see, he wants us to see that he can be trustworthy, that he is our provision. That needs to be worked out. And so we give God what we have. And the next way that Jesus draws us deeper, this is the next way that Jesus draws us deeper. We give whatever we have. And what the disciples had wasn't really much, was it? I mean, five loaves. It was probably more like little muffins. Uh, That's essentially what it was. These barley muffins and two fish, probably salted or dried fish. Now, come on. In a a crowd of, what, 15,000 people, someone had to have a better dinner, right? Someone had hit away a bottle of wine and a little round of brie. I'm sure of it. Someone had a burrito tucked away somewhere, right? At least a Subway sandwich somewhere. Moms, the moms had to have goldfish crackers somewhere in there, right? Every mom has those somewhere. The disciples are thinking, I've got nothing here. Seven picnic items, that's it. How on earth is this going to feed anyone? Why bother Jesus? Now, I bet that thought has entered our hearts and minds so often. How many of us have had our enemy at some point in time plant a thought that goes something like this? 
that's all you got? Really? That's all you have? What is the use of you even trying? And you know why the enemy does that? Because he's afraid of what you can do. Because if you would do what you do, he knows that God is a provider and God will provide what you now cannot do because you did first what you could do. The devil's afraid of even the little you can do now because he knows God is a provider and responds to that sort of faith. The disciples think they got nothing here. They have not counted the most important thing, the power of God in Jesus. And the disciples are about to experience this miracle, not because they bring the biggest meal, not because they bring the better meal, but because they bring whatever they have to God. They come to Jesus. Here's all we got, Jesus. Five rolls, a couple of fish. Do with it whatever you want. And the importance of these loaves and fish are not about the, the sacrifice of giving, but more about the Savior's power. Isn't it amazing how Jesus Christ, the living God, connects himself to these little things? He connects himself to our weakness, to our inadequacy, to our little faith, whatever it is we bring to him, and yet he connects himself to it. I love that about Jesus. And when we bring Jesus what we have, whatever, however we might estimate it or assess it, when we come into living touch with Jesus, he enables us to do all things. Those loaves and fishes in Christ's hands become pregnant with a feast for 15,000. Outside of his hands, those are nothing. They're just seven menu items. But in the hands of the risen Jesus Christ, they come in contact with omnipotence. They're a miracle in the waiting. We might think we don't have much to give. Maybe if you do an assessment of what you think you have to offer, and you think, that's it, Jesus, not much. But we need to listen to this account. We need to factor Jesus into the equation because Jesus is equal to all our need. Jesus is the provision that is more than enough for all our needs. God will use whatever we give to him, and he will take it and he will use it. Jesus uses all the ordinary things we offer up to him, and he does something extraordinary with them. Jesus takes all of us ordinary people, and in his hands, we become part of his extraordinary mission, and we get to play a part in the miracle of healing and restoring a broken world. And all the disciples were asked was, bring what you have. In this Ready for More campaign, we're not asking everyone to focus in on the huge goal of $200,000, raising that in two months. All we're saying is, bring whatever you have and watch what God will do with it. Once that little, whatever we have, gets in the hands of Jesus, you just check out what he can do with that. And as we enter this campaign, we're challenged to give whatever we have to God. And I encourage you to do it willingly and cheerfully. That's the kind of giving that reflects the heart of God. I heard uh, about a bumper sticker that once went like this. It says, God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver, but he accepts from a grouch. I thought that's funny, but that's wrong. That's not true. 
Because God doesn't actually, except from a grouch. Because God doesn't want our money if we give it grudgingly. He doesn't want our time if we're a little reluctantly, okay. You know, he doesn't want your talent if he's got to pry it out of your hands. No, because God doesn't need it. Because what God wants in the gift is what the gift represents, your heart. God is more interested in the attitude that, that underlies all of our giving than any amount or whatever it is we might give. And so I, I want to promise you, we are not going to pressure or coerce you. You're not going to hear a hint of that throughout this campaign. Like, we're going to ask you to give straight up. We will, okay? Frankly, forthrightly, we'll ask you to give your time, your gifts, your talents, your resources, but we're not going to coerce you. We're not going to pressure you because then you'll give grudgingly. And to that, God says, don't even bother. Don't even bother. Just stay at home because what I want is your life. What I want is your heart, your faith. That's why Jesus says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If we can't give it to the, with the right attitude, God says, don't bother. You know, what I've seen over the years is that some of the most miserable people are people who feel guilty about not being more generous. And then, interestingly enough, they, there's this strange resentment that grows in them when they feel like they have to give. You know, when they're coerced or, what, you know, they resent that. And either way, they're miserable. And it's not by accident that the root of the word miserable is miser. I don't think there's an accident there because when I hold on to things, when I'm not generous with my life, with my time, with my talents, with my money, when I'm a miser, I'm going to be miserable. And yet the, the, the strange flow of God's kingdom is the more generous we are with ourselves, with our resources, with our time, with our encouragement, with our words of gratitude, the more generous we are, the more like we are God, the more joy we experience because the more in touch we are with God's life. It's interesting. There's almost this spillover effect, this, this multiplication effect, and you see that operate here in this story. The disciples, they bring just a couple of fish, fish a, a few loaves, and yet it says, everyone ate and was satisfied. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Everyone had enough. And then, not only that, they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. God multiplied all the little stuff that they brought. Why? I think God's trying to teach us about the, the, the outflow, the overflow of giving. He wants us to be like him. And God, at heart, is a giver. From the very beginning of creation, God gives us this beautiful world, this creation. God gave us his son. God so loved the world that he gave. And he wants us to learn to be like him. And that's the heart of this miracle, the, the power of God to take what little we offer and to, and to amplify it for good. He takes generosity and he multiplies it. And a fascinating thing about this story is that this miracle was for the disciples. It wasn't for the crowd. Because the crowd didn't really know what was going on. They, it, it, the disciples were the one who had started with the little bits. 
the crowd was, hey, they, I got a meal out of the deal, right? I'm going home satisfied. Um, they likely were not aware that a miracle had happened. It was for the disciples. And the key to this miracle story is that God chooses to work his miracles often through people. Jesus uses what the church offers and blesses it and multiplies it and does something beautiful and miraculous through it. Again, God could have rained down bread or manna, but he didn't, right? Instead, he worked through people. He worked through his disciples. We often wait for God to do for us what God is waiting to do through us. Does that make sense? Sometimes we pray hard and we wait for God and that's right and proper, but sometimes we're just waiting for God to do something miraculous for us when he really wants to do it through us, through our giving, through our actions, through our acts of compassion, through our faith, through our obedience, through our trust. This story of the feeding of 5,000, it's such an important teaching for us here at Knox because we live in a city of 3 million, 3 million people who are hungry. I mean, it's filled with needs, every sort of needs, social needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs. And we can see that need and get overwhelmed. And it's like, God, send them home, <laughs> like the disciples. But God says, no, no, I placed you here in this city. You deal with it, okay? That's what Jesus is telling his church. And we're looking at him saying, Lord, how possibly can we do that in a city so filled with needs, in a city that's too resistant, too secular, people are too busy, the idols of the city have gripped our hearts too strongly, how on earth can we do that? We need a miracle. And in the days ahead, I'm praying our church family is going to experience that, but he's going to use you and me to do that. As we bring to him whatever we have, he's going to use that and do something beautiful through it. I hope you're catching the vision behind this. I hope in your hearts you're saying, yes. Like, I want to be part of that beautiful thing that God is doing at Knox. I, I want to make a little history here. I want, I want to leave some legacy that's going to live beyond myself. I want something of my life to last, outlast me. That's what we want to do. So as I close here today, I want to do two things. I, I really would love for you to start praying, God, help me to grow in these next eight weeks. Help me to grow deeply, spiritually over these next eight weeks. Because this is what this campaign is about. That is the deepest, most profound hope. That we would grow deep in our love and our capacity to respond to God. But then secondly, pray, God, God, give us a miracle in our church family. And use me, God. Here's what I have to offer. Do something beautiful with it. And when we do that, you just watch what happens. Let's pray. Father, your church, we're gathered here, and as I look at these faces, people gathered here, I see commitment, I see joy and love. Thank you that Knox Church is a really special place, God. 
And we can, we can sense that as we come week after week. And thank you for this season in this church's life. It is really an exciting time, God, a time filled with big challenges that you've laid before us. And we're honored. We're honored that you have chosen us for this challenge. You've seen in us a maturity and a faith to take on this endeavor. And so we're honored that you've chosen to call us to this task. I imagine, God, there's a number of different reactions going off in our hearts. I imagine there's some here today who maybe feel a little overwhelmed at this challenge, maybe can't see how it can happen. Maybe we feel it's irresponsible. Um, God, for those, we pray for faith-filled vision. We pray that you might increase faith and expand our vision. Take whatever faith, no matter how small it is, God, take whatever faith we bring and amplify it, multiply it. Some of us here, God, we can see the vision, but we wonder, God, what do I have to offer? I'm earning low wages. I'm a student. I'm underemployed. God, help us to see that you aren't concerned with the size of the gift, but the heart of the gift. If it's a willing sacrifice, you, you take delight in that. Remind us that it isn't even about money. We can give so many other things, our skills, our time, our ideas, our prayers. Remind us that you take whatever we bring and you do something beautiful with it. God, for some of us, we, we see this vision, we hear the call, we're prepared to give you whatever we have. We're growing spiritually. We're ready to rise to this challenge, God. And I thank you for that, for that maturity here. Right here at this 5 p.m. community, God, there's so many who do want to rise up to that challenge and live fully for you. God, thank you for that. Bless that. Multiply that. And in the coming weeks, help us all to grow spiritually, God. Help us to build our lives on Jesus Christ. Help us to see a miracle of your love, your compassion in your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.